Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 250, Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas. Amanda Nunes looking to further cement her legacy as the best women's fighter of all time. Yeah, I mean, the lady go to the the lady go to our sport, man. I mean, this girl's unstoppable. She's out here knocking Cyborg out in the first round. You know, uh 50-45 and Durand to me with the with the a lot of takedowns there, man. She's the goat of our sport, beat Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey. I mean, uh the list goes on and on. So Felicia Spencer better be ready. But uh Felicia's a tough girl, man. And hey, she she made it to the main event, so props to her. You know, if you would have told me a year ago that Felicia Spencer was going to fight for a world title, I would have said you're crazy. But here we are. And not only is she fighting for a world title, she has a chance to make MMA history if she can go out there and dethrone the great Amanda Nunes. And the odds are definitely not in her favor. But again, fights are not contested on paper, so I cannot wait to see how that plays out. But man, the co-main event and the featured bout, obviously we got the return of Cody Garbrandt. He's taking on ATL's own Rafael Asuncao. But I think the fight that most people are excited about is uh, the potential title eliminator between Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen. I have a feeling the winner of that fight is going to face off with uh, Peter Yan or Jose Aldo later this year. Yeah, that kind of is the people's main event. Uh, that is that is the number one contender fight. Corey Sanhagen, what is it, only four fights in the UFC? And uh I mean, now he's in a number one contender match. I think we knew from day one that this dude was was the real deal. And Sterling, man, this guy, he's had to bounce back from a lot of embarrassing losses, man. I give him props. He's definitely got gotten a lot better as a fighter. And, uh, you know, he's been saying that he uh, wants his title shot. So here it is right here on the table. So he's coming off a little injury. But, man, the way he's been looking lately, beat Stamen, beat Johns, um, be Pedro Munoz, you know, uh, and Jimmy Rivera, man, the guy, he's he's definitely improved, so I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be no debate that the winner is going to go out there and get a title shot, so I'm very excited about that. And Shaq, before we get down to business, just got to let them know to go to bestfightpicks.com to get our plays. Last week coming off a perfect clean sweep, I went 3-0, and you went 4-0. and and now it's time to repeat history, man. They can use our promo codes 2020 to save 20% off the VIPs. They can use my promo code DAN25 to save 25% off any of my packages. Or they can use the promo code SHAC50 to save 50% off your plays at bestfightpicks.com. Well, Shaq, let's get right down to business. Because first up, in an 150-pound catchweight bout, we got the return of Evan Dunham. He's 18-8. and eight. And Herbert the Blaze Burns is 10 and 2. Currently, they got Herbert Burns minus 225. The comeback on Evan Dunham is plus 185. And Shaq, I was kind of surprised to see that Evan Dunham's actually making his return because when he retired, you know, I actually went back and read his interview about what he said back in 2018. And he said, My body let me know, you know, based off my last couple results, that. I'm doing the right thing stepping away. I'm doing what's best for me, and I have zero intentions on returning. Well, flip uh, fast forward to 2020, and uh, sounds like he's coming back for more, man. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I know the fans remember the classic wars Evan Dunham gave us, you know, the TJ Grant fight, the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, even most recently the Benil Dariush fight. How can you not love Evan Dunham? Such a true warrior. The thing is, man... He retired for a reason, and obviously, you know, we're going to talk about how he doesn't take the best body shot, you know, wasn't taking the best chin shots either, but now dropping an additional five pounds, I'm curious to see how he responds to what Herbert Burns is going to dish out because this kid, Herbert, look, obviously we all know he's Gilbert's brother, and, you know, Gilbert just came off that domination, that destruction of Tyron Woodley, but... If you never told me that this was Gilbert Durinho's brother, you never told me he was Brazilian and I just watched him fight, I think this guy's like a D1 wrestler, man, because you see the entries this kid has. His wrestling is serious. Then you take it a step further, look at the jiu-jitsu. I mean, he's a, he's been a black belt over 10 years, and now he's adding some serious uh, power to his striking arsenal. As you saw, I went out there and knocked out the former M1 champion, Nate Landwehr. So I think Herbert Burns has a lot of potential. He's been coming a long way he's been developing and he's been fighting the right guys to get to this point i mean on the regional scene finished luis gomez in the first round i mean that's a guy that has a win over sadiq youssef obviously went on contender series got that first round sub and most recently finished nate landwehr in the first round so i think herbert burns is riding high off momentum 
And, you know, a couple years back, if they would have ran it, I would have went with Evan Dunham. But at this stage of their career, I think that Herbert Burns has caught up to where he can go out there and beat a serious vet like Evan Dunham. And what I like about Burns, obviously, I mentioned the entries and, you know, his, his submission ability. But how about the stand-up, man? He comes out there with his hands high, looks to fire to the body. He's uh, he's punching with both hands now, as Coach Edmund would say, you know, uh, I like what I see from Herbert Burns. I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think Saturday night he's going to finish Evan Dunham, Shaq. Yeah, man, I think you pretty much hit it. Uh, Evan Dunham, he retired. He, I mean, look at that Benil Dariush fight. You know, in that first round, he took a lot of damage. And then, the, you know, he was able to regroup and uh, win the next two rounds on the on the uh, scorecards on two cards. And, man, he's always been a guy that, you know, in his prime, he was durable, he was tough. But, you know, when the durability goes away, when he's getting folded up to body shots by OAM after the Dariush fight, and then uh, then Trinaldos, you know, right after that, man, it, I mean, look, he retired for a reason. I'm assuming he, he probably needed some, you know, where else can he make a six-figure uh a six-figure uh, payday, you know. So I think uh, th- this pr- this is probably what it was, something similar to Wyman, not as much as w- of like a layoff, but like, I mean, he retired and and now he's coming back to fight the the young up and comers. And Herbert Burns, man, we already know about his jujitsu. Yeah, we know he's Gilbert's little bro, but the power, man, he's just like his brother. You know, kind of you know where Gilbert was when he was younger, a little raw, but a lot of power, a lot of potential. I see Herbert Burns, you know, at some point getting a body shot. You got to know Henry Hoop's gonna try to try to attack that that small small weak uh, that weak body. I mean, OAM folded him up with one with a with a knee to the body and punches right after that. So. And Trinaldo fight, I mean, it was kind of, I don't want to say 50-50. Trinaldo seemed to be landing the harder shots, but just one little straight to the, or was it a knee to the body and he went down? So, you know, uh, I see Herbert Burns getting in that clinch, you know, get, getting a possible knee and, and knocking Evan Dunham out. So, yeah. One thing I want to say about the Trinaldo fight is the reason it went into the second round is actually Dunham was kind of running away from Trinaldo the entire time, which I don't blame him after when you get knocked out by OAM in under a minute, that means that there's a problem, especially when Evan Dunham, a guy that's been known for his durability and OAM, a guy that's never been known for harming anything. When that's happening, that's when you know it's time to wrap things up and the Trinaldo fight was uh, further evidence. So let's see what happens Saturday night. Now, next up in the 205-pound division, we got a matchup between Alonzo Menafield. He's 9-0, and Devin Clark is 11-4. Currently, they got Alonzo Menafield minus 220. The comeback on Devin Clark is plus 180. Well, Shaq, uh, you know, I watched uh, Alonzo Menafield's entire career from when he was uh, 0-0 to now as, as a 9-0 pro, and I got to say, man, there's a lot of myths surrounding this guy, Alonzo Menafield. One of those myths is that uh, he can't grapple. And that's, I'm here to say that that is complete bullshit because obviously when someone has the kind of power and athleticism that Alonzo Menafield has, all of his opponents, they don't want to stand and bang with him. They want to take him down. They want to clinch him against the fence. And when I say that Alonzo Menafield has serious instincts to go for those underhooks, I mean it. And then you look at that fight against Daniel Jolly on Contender Series when he was only 3-0. and And I know people are going to ref- you know, reference that a lot because he got taken down. And we got to see what he looks like off his back. Well, firstly, prior to the takedown, he was busting up Daniel Jolly to a point where, I mean, he broke the guy's orbital. The guy couldn't even answer the bell between rounds. But when he got taken down... Now, he didn't get back up, so this, this is one thing we got to mention, but on the flip side, he didn't get his guard passed, he wasn't panicking or anything like that, he was just relaxing, you know, until the ref came in, let them back up, and then he got back to work, and so after that fight, Dana didn't sign him off the bat, because you got to remember, he was only 3-0, and and, and it's funny, because like last week, people were talking all this shit about Jamal Hill, and they were referencing fights from when back when he was 3-0, and you know, when he... Uh, went five rounds with Daquan Towns, and, you know, he fought some jobber that took his back and all these things. Like, when these guys are, you know, have less than five fights or less than ten fights, they're going to make these huge leaps every single time we see him. So Dana said, hey, I like this kid, Menifield, but go back to the regional scene, get a little more experience, and we'll bring you back. And that's exactly what he did. And when I tell you that he worked on all areas of his game, he goes to the regional scene, and now he's out there winning fights by submission, Shaq. He's out there winning fights by ground and pound. So he's really been exploring all areas of the game. And 
the guy is such a physical presence. Kind of reminds me of like an American and Ganu a little bit uh, for 205 pounds. But look, this is the biggest uh, step up in, in his career. And the thing with Devin Clark is he's very athletic. He's definitely got a lot of tools. He's physical. It's just the mentality is where I kind of have the issue with uh, Devin Clark. Uh, he doesn't, you know, respond well to adversity at all. I mean, any stand-up exchange that happens, I mean, the guys, I mean, even against Daquan Townsend, he was running away for his life. But if he can come out here and, you know, hump Alonzo's leg for two of the three rounds, then, yeah, he has a path to victory. But I just don't see how he overcomes some of these shots, man. And not to mention, it's not going to be such a simple task to take down Alonzo Alonzo, because, you know, like those underhooks I was referring to, his instinct for the underhooks is second to none. So, Look, I, I think it's going to be a first-round knockout for Alonzo Menafield. Ozmaker's actually open at minus 330 here. All the publics uh, bet on Devin Clark in this spot. And I understand why they want to fade uh, Alonzo Menafield, but I don't think this is the spot. I, I, I think Alonzo's going to come out here and knock this guy out, Shaq. Yeah, this is a good, this is a good uh, test for Menafield, man, because, you know, these two fights, he's been kind of fighting, uh, you know, Craig's tough, but, you know, he, he's not really known for his striking and, uh, Marrera, who's you know a complete can. So uh, you know, I, I want to. I'm glad to see this fight. Clark, he's been in there with some with some decent guys like uh, Ratchik, and um, he you know he just fought uh, Alonzo's teammate uh, Ryan Spence. So you know, uh, Coach Safe's gonna already got the game plan for this guy. Uh, yeah, man, Menafield. All I've seen is just vicious power. <laughs> you know, he he plants his feet. He's uh, very plotty, but the dude swings haymakers, man. And, and and we've seen what's happened with Devin Clark. He gets real spastic in there. He looks. He starts turning his back. He, I mean, he ends up in these chokes all the time. I mean, I know you remember that one from the Blackovich fight and the the. Uh, I mean, even the Ratchet fight. Even the Ratchet fight. I mean, when you think about it, he dropped Ratchet, but then like. You know, he goes out unconscious to a spinning back fist. Uh, I mean, look, Gratchik is a big dude, but so is Menafield. Yeah, I think Menafield at some point will knock him out. I just don't uh, think that he's probably faced a, a guy with, you know, somewhat equal size and power uh, into him. But Clark just, uh, I don't see why he would, uh, he hasn't shown me anything. Like you said, the Daquan Townsend fight, he's still in there running away and getting squeamish when he gets close, man. It's just, uh, it's the same thing. I mean, look, he's a powerful guy. I just don't, I think Menafield, I think safe and them will close the distance and, and touch this guy's chin. You know, Ryan uh, kind of walked him down, backed him up the entire time and then eventually hurt him with a big left hook and he, and he started to look for his way out. So I, I see the same thing happening as well. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Juicier Formiga. He's 23-7, and and Alex Perez is 23-5. and Currently, they got Alex Perez minus 130. The comeback on Juicier Formiga is plus 110. Well, Shaq, oddsmakers initially opened this minus 130 Formiga plus 110 Perez, but now the line's completely flipped. Alex Perez is the favorite. Which way are you going for this one? Yeah, man, this is an interesting fight because, you know, Juicy Formiga has always been number one, number two in the world, uh, beating Davison, God of War, Figueredo, Sergio Pettis. I mean, uh, resume-wise, man, he, he blows Alex Perez's resume out the water. Um, it's just, you know, Alex Perez, he's an up-and-comer, very talented. You know, he likes to close off the cage. He, he hits very hard. He's got very good grappling as well. We haven't really seen his grappling tested against a, a black belt of this caliber. Um, I think with Juicy A Formiga, man, it, it's just like, is his head still in it? You know, uh, the Joseph Benavidez fight, they both got knocked out by Benavidez. And, you know, then he followed that up in the Moreno fight. And, you know, Moreno is definitely number one contender now. But, man... I just saw a lack of spirit, man. It kind of he's kind of showing signs of the of the old Brazilian, you know. And he's necessarily not known for his knockout power, which I feel is like you know more of a threat to Alex Perez. He's a little bit chinny, but uh, now he's fighting a grappler. I haven't seen Perez's jujitsu tested on this level, but I think Perez is more hungry. I think he's more aggressive. I think he moves forward. He's been running through these uh, these Espinosas and these De La Rosas. I guess he's getting another shot at the uh, at the at the you know the top five. This is the this is the big deal in the flyweight division. If he can get this win, man, that'll be a huge win for him. I think he's I think he's super talented, man. I think uh, he's gonna walk Formiga down and and be the bully here, man. I know he's got to stuff that uh, takedown, but I think this is a good matchup. I don't think he's gonna have to worry about getting knocked out in this fight. Uh, Formiga, 
I, I just see a lack of spirit. So I'm going to go with uh, Perez by uh, by decision. It's a really interesting fight because obviously the resumes don't even compare. I mean, when you talk about a guy like Formiga, obviously last year he beat the champion Davison Figueredo, but 10 years ago in 2010, he beat Pantoja. So what I'm trying to say is he's been beating the top level guys throughout the last decade. Uh, he's been a perennial top five guy his entire career. I mean, I remember back when he was like fighting Ian McCall and they considered Jussier, uh, he, his name used to be, he used to go by Jussier da Silva before they called him Formiga, which means uh, the fire ant in in uh, Portuguese. But yeah, back when he was Jussier da Silva, they considered him to be the number one flyweight on planet Earth. So it's pretty amazing to see 10 years later, he's still in the top five. But now, you know, for him being a top five gatekeeper, certain guys are going to pass that test. And I got to say, going back and watching that Brandon Moreno fight, dude, Brandon Moreno looked fucking amazing. Like, I'm not going to be surprised if Brandon Moreno challenges for a UFC title uh, within a year. Like, that was, I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't remember how damn good he looked. But, yeah, that was super impressive. As far as Perez, you know, he's definitely a physical guy. He's an experienced guy. He's paid his dues. It's just uh, the level of competition. I mean, he's handled them all accordingly, but, like, let's be realistic about it. Carl's John DeThomas, Eric Shelton, Mark De La Rosa. The best guy on the list is Jordan Espinosa. So all guys with losing records, I mean, unless you want to say Jose Shorty Torres, who's no longer with the company, he was super hyped up at the time. But it's like this is a different, st- this is a different level of competition. And the last time he stepped up, you remember what happened. Now, as far as this matchup is concerned, because it's a different stylistic fight, you know, I'm just curious to see what happens if he takes Formiga down. You know, is he going to just kind of lay in his guard and kind of stall him out a little bit, which I think would be the right thing to do? Or is he going to kind of take risks, which will open up, you know, the possibility of Formiga sweeping him or taking his back along the way? And also, I think Formiga's stand-up is a little underrated, too, because even though he's very low volume, the dude's got some good counters, you know, from back in his Novo and Yao game. He's got that ATT calf kick game, and he's able to slow his opponent's uh output down as well so i'm actually kind of leaning with the odds makers that they slightly edged formiga in this one i'm slightly edging him as well you know it's not going to surprise me to see the young gun come out here and beat him but i kind of think formiga is the more skilled guy so i'm gonna roll with him here now next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between charles bird he's 10 and 6 and mackie coconut bombs pitolo is 12 and 5 Currently, they got Charles Bird minus 170. The comeback on Mackie Patolo is plus 150. Shaq, it's interesting because Mackie Patolo is undefeated at 185 pounds. But at 170, he's taken some of the worst losses we've ever seen. Like when you want to, man, when you talk about devastating losses, you look at all of Mackie Patolo's KO losses. But at 185, he's done his thing. With Charles Bird, you know, he's the captain at Fortis MMA, but, you know, he's kind of getting up there in age. I know he doesn't like to, yeah, I know he probably wouldn't like to hear this, but he's kind of old, man. You know, he turns 37 later this year. He's listed at 5'10". Between you and me, he's 5'8". I mean, look, Charles Bird's the more skilled guy, but the thing is, you think uh, the Hawaiian uh, warrior can come out here and knock him out anyways? Yeah, this is a tough fight to call because Mackie Patolo pulled one of the more bigger stunts of, uh, of 2019 in that fight against Colin Potter. I mean... That, that was ugly, but like you said, it seems like he's better at 185s than he is at 170. Charles Bird, like you said, he's on the tail end of his career. Um, I haven't been impressed with Bird. I haven't been impressed with either guy, man. I think Bird's the better athlete, stronger, powerful. But uh, Mackie Patolo might be better in the late rounds if this gets stretched out. You know, Bird, uh, you know, we saw in that Stewart fight, man, he kind of blew himself out and then, you know, went down viciously to an elbow. And then uh, Mackie Patolo, you know, we saw him swarm that guy on Contender Series, uh, Justin Sumter. He's got a couple other good wins on the local scene, too. But we've also seen him pull massive stunts like that Cassius Clay fight on the on the local scene in which he got knocked out unconscious. Uh um, then the Callan Potter fight, but man, maybe, maybe he's a, he's a weight cutting victim, man. Uh, it's a tough fight as a, from a betting perspective, this is a straight pass fight for me, man. It's either, if it's either dog or pass, no way in hell I'm laying minus 175 on Charles Bird, uh, at his age. And he's, and he's just very basic in his skill set too, man. You know, it took him two times to, to get that contract on the contender series as well. He, you know, he's just a, a, an average, uh, he's a guy that you could be seeing fight. Both of these guys are guys that you could be seeing fighting on the local scene, man. Um, but I'll go, I'll go with Charles Bird, man. I, I think he'll probably 
we uh, edge out a decision. Uh, but man, uh, I'm not confident in that at all. Yeah, look, uh, I, I kind of feel the same way just in terms of I would not put my money behind a minus 170 on Charles Bird. I'll tell you that right now. And Mackie Batolo, I like the idea of, you know, getting plus 150 against Bird. It's just when you go and you watch the tape on Batolo, it's like, oh, my God, Mackie, like, you know, he's definitely a Hawaiian warrior. He's killer be killed. I love his fighting style as a fan. I just can't trust him with my money. Uh but who knows? Maybe he comes out here and keeps his undefeated, uh, you know, record at 185 pounds. Because at 170, man, holy shit, that Callan Potter fight was extremely alarming. But again, 15 pounds of you know water in your body and brain makes a world of difference. So I'm still leaning Charles Burke because I think he's the far more you know skilled fighter. I think he comes from a better camp. But nothing would surprise me in this one, Shaq. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Cody Stamen. He's 18 and two. And Brian Kelleher is 21 and 10. Currently, they got Cody Stamen minus 260. The comeback on Brian Kelleher is plus 220. I mean, look, Shaq, before we say anything else, just, you know, want to send our condolences to Cody Stamen. You know, friend of the show is going through a lot of personal stuff right now. And, you know, we're, uh, we're sending you all our positive energy, man. Hope you get through this time. But as far as this matchup is concerned, Shaq, uh, Look, Cody Stamen's one of the most disciplined guys at 135 pounds, one of the most underrated guys at 135 pounds. Uh, that 18-2 and two record speaks for itself, in my opinion. He handed Song Yadong his first loss. And uh, Brian Keller, what can we say? I mean, after the, the Lineker and Montel Jackson fights, we kind of thought he was on his way out. But then uh, you put him in there with a rookie, and he'll tap him out or knock him out. He he welcomed those two guys to the UFC accordingly. So now he gets a step up. You think he rises to the occasion? Yeah, man. You know, I'm a fan of both guys. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Cody Stamen. Been been saying that this guy would be ranked from uh, from his UFC debut, and he definitely made the rankings. Condolences to him and his family, man. It's such a it's such a brave thing that he's doing fighting, man. And Kelleher, he he's hot right now. You know, he. Uh, like you said, after those two losses, he showed the two uh, contender series guys. But let's just be honest here. Those two contender series guys are nowhere near the level of uh, of Cody Stamen. Um, Hunter Azorman, you know, he's real slow. He definitely hits hits very hard. But Kelleher, a vet like that, I feel like he can take those guys out. But Kelleher's very confident right now. You know, he's been in, he's already fought in the, in the arena with no fans. He's, he's somewhat used to this. And uh, Cody Stamen, you know, like you said, uh, a, a lot of people think he uh, handed Song Yudong his first loss. I mean, he took him down a lot of times. And I just think Cody Stamen doesn't get a lot of credit, enough credit just because, you know, he doesn't have the, you know, the, he's not going to come out here and get the, the vicious knockout or, or the submission. You know, he's a he's a little smaller, uh, a little shorter, and he, he just likes to to win rounds and, and pick guys apart and, and, and do his job that way. Uh, I think he's only got like five or six knockouts, but this guy does his job, man. He's fundamentally sound. His blast doubles are really good, man. He can turn the corner. His anger, I mean, he took Song Yadong down at least five times from what I remember. Um, this guy just, he, he's very smart in the cage. He, he just, he's very aware. And Kelleher is a guy that likes to move forward, put pressure on guys and capitalize on them gassing out. But, you know, Cody Stamen, I just don't see that happening to, happening to him. I don't think Kelleher has the level of wrestling. You know, he does have a very good guillotine, so Cody's got to be careful of that. But I honestly think Cody could blast double him at any time, uh, point him up on the outside, and, and you know, win a decision. I, I don't, you know, from a betting perspective, you know, this line opened up, what, like minus 270 or minus 260 or something. And, you know, so I think uh, that's about accurate. But at the same time, he probably is going to win. Minus two eighty five. So you probably it's going to go to decision most likely. So you are going to have to go through uh, fifteen minutes. But you know, I I think Cody Stamen gets the victory here, thirty twenty seven. Yeah, one thing about Keller is he's a very opportunistic guy. You know, you uh, shoot on a sloppy takedown, leave your neck exposed. He will capitalize. Uh, you start to gas out on the guy. You fight with your hands down. He can knock people out too. It's just. Uh, Cody Stamen so disciplined in there. He knows his distance perfectly, and he doesn't take any unnecessary risks. And as long as he, you know, sticks to that disciplined uh, style that he's had throughout his entire career, he should come out here and win this fight, man. And, uh, you know, it, it's a thing where it's like I've been so impressed with this guy for different reasons. Like the Duke and Wa fight, he, like, somewhat took off seven minutes of that fight to start with. Still got a 30-27. 
goes out there against uh, Song Yedong. I'm thinking, man, these pocket exchanges, look out for the power of Song Yedong. You know, Cody walks out of that fight without a scratch on his face. So I'm done sleeping on this kid, Cody Stamen. Not that I'm out here picking against him on the reg or anything like that. I'm just saying he needs to earn people's respect. And I know he had the setback to Sterling, but look at the position Sterling's in. Uh, it's just a different level of competition. So I'm very impressed uh, with both guys, but I, I think Saturday night's going to belong to Cody Stamen, Shaq. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Ian Hynish, he's 13-3, and and Gerald Mershart is 31-12. and Currently, they got Ian Hynish minus 135. The comeback on Gerald Mershart is plus 115. Shaq, man, this is, a, this is a tough fight to call, man, for a lot of reasons. But I'll, before I break it down, I want to kind of admit that capping Gerald Mershart fights is really tough for me because it's like when I when I watch him on tape I'm like man he's slow he's unathletic I say it every fucking time but then he goes out there and wins anyways man what are you about to say yeah man I always pick his fights around except like Hermanson and stuff but like uh other than that man I can't pick his fights for shit yeah no exactly man and like it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so I start the tape on Heinish, and I'm like, oh shit, we might have overrated Heinish from the jump, right? Like, yeah, like, you know, you know, I, I bet on Omari his last fight, man. I said uh, Heinish was a fraud the entire time, you know. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because we actually bet on Heinish to beat Antonio Carlos Jr. at plus one seventy five odds, uh, and he came through there. But man, these these are different matchups, and this is interesting because Gerald Mershart's one of those vets that. You start making sloppy mistakes on a guy like that. He can snatch up the neck. He can knock guys out with body kicks, hurt Deron Wynn with punches. Uh, and obviously, he's a jujitsu black belt. He just kind of lacks in the athleticism department, but he makes up for it with his, you know, his veteran savvy. And, you know, his technique is pretty damn good, too. It's just the athleticism and the speed, you know. But the thing with Heinish is he's not the most polished guy, but he kind of wills himself to, to these wins. Uh, the things I like about him is, you know, on the on the feet, it's not the prettiest thing, but, you know, he has a lot of feints. He's got good cardio for the most part. Um, I know he gassed out really bad against Brunson. I think that might have been an adrenaline dump. You know, the first 10 seconds, you hit the guy with a high kick. You think the fight's about to be over, and then you got to grapple for the next 10 minutes. I, I feel like that might have gassed him out. The reason I, I, I say that his cardio is good is because in the Carlos Jr. and the Cesar Ferreira fight, even the Omari fights, he was turning up in that third round, so it was really only the uh, the Brunson fight where he gassed bad, and the and with Mershart, man, it's uh he's just it's just hard to get a read on him, man. So since I kind of feel like this is a 50-50 fight, I'm gonna lean towards Mershart because the dog odds are on him, but I could realistically see it going either way, Shaq. Yeah, it's a it's a close fight. I think you know. Ian Heinish at this point, we know that he wasn't really top 15. He had a couple good wins over two solid uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts, but when he got in there with Brunson and uh, Omari Akhmedov, man, they, you know, they taught him a lesson for sure. I think Heinish is tough. Like you said, he wills himself. That's his best attribute. His best attribute is an intangible that you know will only be there on certain nights. You know, Skill-wise, I think his stand-up, is average. He's got good footwork, better footwork than Mershart for sure. Um, but boxing wise, I actually think Mershart actually beat Eric Anders. I thought uh, the decision should have went to him. I think he's got underrated boxing as well. Uh, like you said, he's finished people with body kicks, and I think if he gets a submission, he'll have the most submissions in uh, in middleweight history, if I'm not mistaken. So Mershart's very well rounded. Heinish you know, probably is the guy that's so willing to get a little bit more dirty, you know, maybe shoot a, a shoot a few more takedowns to try to steal on points. He, he's a, he is a grimy guy. He, I like at least the one thing I'll say about Ian, I like how he didn't quit against Omari in that third round because the first two rounds, man, he got straight up grown man by a Russian and he didn't quit, man. A lot of dudes would have just uh, folded it in and just accepted it. So I will give him props. So I'm, I'm actually going to take Ian Heinish to edge, edge out a close decision, but Man, this guy's not as good as uh, we all thought before. So from a betting perspective, you know, laying uh, <laughs> slight chalk on him, I think it's, it's a little sketchy just because Mershart's got a history of uh, sneaking up on guys. But I'm, I'll take Ian Heinrich by split decision. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Chase Hooper. He's 9-0 and 
and Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres is 15 and 12. Currently, they got Chase Hooper minus 185. The comeback on Alex Caceres is plus 160. Now, firstly, Shaq, oddsmakers actually opened this a pick em with a slight lean on Caceres. So Vegas isn't sold on Chase Hooper, and I mean, neither am I, but at the same time, we do know what the UFC is trying to do here, and we also know the fact that uh, Bruce Leroy has been tapped out uh, more than once, Shaq, and when I say I'm not sold on Chase Hooper, let me, let me explain what I mean, because I actually think his jiu-jitsu is very, very slick, and I even called you after he beat Luis Gomez on the regional scene. I was like, dude, you have to see what the fuck this kid just did to Luis Gomez. I mean, the sweep, the dexterity of his legs on the mat. And then when he gets on top of you, fights seem to be over shortly after. It's just uh, the one time he went the distance, and it was with a, it was with another 500 fighter, just like Bruce Leroy, it was a draw. Now, granted, he was 18 years old at the time, and these young kids are going to be making big improvements every single time, but... His striking defense is very, very suspect. I mean, do you think uh, Bruce Leroy can capitalize on that over a three-round duration? Because, I mean, th- we're talking about a guy that uh, went five with the Yair in altitude, but this is a different matchup. Yeah, this is a tough one, man, because I'm not sold on Chase Hooper either except his jiu-jitsu in his top game. You know, his jiu-jitsu in his top game, and like you said, Bruce Leroy has been submitted several times. Um, but man, on the feet, it could possibly be a mismatch if they, if they, you know, get stood up, you know, if they stand on the feet for like any significant amount of time, like a minute, you know, a minute tops, like he, he's Chase Hooper's probably getting dropped, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest here. Uh, Alex Caceres, he's still got that left hand. He can still grind out these wins against Ocho Peterson and, and Martin Bravo, um, he's very experienced. He went, you remember when he went to split with Wang Guan? I, I don't know what happened to Wang Guan, by the way, man. That guy disappeared, but, uh, you know, uh, he's very experienced. Like you said, he's my boy, uh, my boy Wang Guan's royalty down there. He don't need this shit, but, um, you know, he, he's definitely way more experienced. Um, and the Hooper's fight with Tamor. I mean, Tamor is like, you know, bottom, bottom dweller. I consider Caceres, you know, like, mid-pack like you know just fun fighter um man betting perspective is dog or pass for me um i i just i could see chase super getting knocked out stiff if, if they stay in, stay in the middle for like a minute two minutes tops but at the same time if he gets on top of alex caceres he's probably gonna get the submission the kid's got a legitimate ground game um, I just don't know how necessarily he's going to get it, man. Taymor is like a complete idiot. You know, Taymor is like, man, that guy is something else. Did he get cut? Yeah, it probably did. But, like, you know, I, I'll pick Hooper, but from a betting perspective, Caceres surpass for me. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the guys that have submitted uh, Caceres, I mean, there's no shame in losing to Crone Gracie, you know, serious black belt. And even like uh, Uriah Faber back in the day, I guess maybe the Jason Knight one, you know, even though he was riding high off momentum back then, that's back when, you know, people were thinking this guy was going to be a contender right before he fought Lamas. Uh, So it's a tough one. You know, I really don't like the striking defense of Chase Hooper, and I will be looking to fade him soon. I'm just not convinced this is the spot. So I will say that it might be sketchy, but somewhere along the way, he's probably going to find this submission. So. I'm going to go with Chase Hooper here uh, via submission. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Sean O'Malley. He's 11-0, and the former WEC champion, Eddie Wyland, is 24-13. and Currently, they got Sean O'Malley minus 485. The comeback on Eddie Wyland is plus 385. Uh, Shaq, this is a hell of a fight. This is the first real fight that... Uh, Sean O'Malley's had, I mean, no disrespect to my boy Teco, you know, I like him, but I'm just saying like, you know, this ain't Terry on where Andre Sukumtut no more. And I know Eddie's seen better days, but like, as long as Eddie's conscious, he's going to be fighting for real. So this might actually be a test for O'Malley in a sense, you know, like, like I'm saying, uh, there's a knockout threat here. You know what I mean? Like if, 
if, if O'Malley doesn't show up, if O'Malley hasn't been training, he could get knocked out in this fight. Eddie Wineland does hit hard, and he's been proven for many, many years. But that being said, there's some stylistic advantages for O'Malley here. And I'm not even talking about the youth, the age gap, the height, all that stuff. I'm talking about the sole fact that Eddie Wineland fights with his hands down and his chin up. And you do that against a guy like O'Malley who prides himself on his counters and on his accuracy, his speed. Just seems like a bad idea to me. You know, I recall uh, back in the day when I cashed that plus 750 on Johnny Eduardo to uh, beat Eddie Wineland. And the reason I bet him was just because it's like a Nova and Yao striker versus a guy that keeps his hands down and his chin up. Now, while Sean O'Malley doesn't have that Nova and Yao style, he's got more of that new school, you know, kind of took a lot of influence from Conor McGregor. Loves those pull counters, loves throwing that straight left. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like somewhere along the way, uh, Sean O'Malley's going to knock him out. And I think probably in the first round, Shaq. Yeah, you know, Eddie Wineland, I know he ain't scared of O'Malley. I know he's going to go in there and, and fight him like a man. It's just, can he take that damage anymore? You know, look at his fights with Perez, you know, Turbo Perez. You know, his, his nose is getting bloodied up. He, You know, he can't take that damage. Even the Popoff fight, man, he was his ribs were clinching up a couple times. He he wobbled a couple times in that fight as well. He was able to get the vicious knockout. But Eddie's been on the decline for a while. But we love him, man. He, he brings you know he, he's gonna fight you. You know what I'm saying? And O'Malley, man, this kid's one of the most uh, one of the most creative strikers in the UFC. Like you said, those counters, that that pool game, man, that guy, uh, those slipping rips. You know, I know you remember what he did at the Contender Series show. I mean, Dana White said that he had the entire on fire i mean he said the ground was like shaking and shit when he was doing that uh, like people were going crazy when he did that so you know i think o'malley's actually the real deal man i think like more people want to fade him and you know think he's not all that but i think his striking skills are super legit and you know he, he's training at the lab with guys like casey kenny and bautista like the dude trains every day man um what's the other guy's name uh, kyler phillips like he's got good guys around him he's got a good coach and I think he's going to knock out Eddie Wineland in the first round, man. I think it's going to get vicious, too. His performance against Teco, that was kind of flawless. I mean, he kind of, I mean, Teco, I mean, I know Teco's not known for his chin, but, I mean, he, he couldn't even go. I mean, that was like he didn't even get touched. So, you know, I think O'Malley's the real deal, and I think he'll knock out Eddie. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a, we got a matchup between Neil Magny, he's 22-7, and seven, and Anthony Rocco Martin is 17-5. and five. Currently, they got Neil Magny minus 135. The comeback on Anthony Rocco Martin is plus 115. Well, uh, Shaq, uh, I got to ask you something straight up because, look, we know Anthony Rocco Martin's been making improvements. Now, is Neil Magny back or did Li Jingliang pull one of the biggest stunts that we've seen in recent memory, only landing 16 strikes in the 15 minutes he had with uh, with Neil Magny that night? Yeah, man, I, I think... Uh... I think we're going to find out this weekend, man. I just know that um, I've been super high on Rocco for a while, man. I, you know, his fight with Ramazan Amiv was very impressive. He did that down there in Moscow. Uh, this guy, he's got, he's well-rounded, man. He, he's kind of reminded me of like a, I don't want to say a poor man's version, but like kind of like Qatar, you know, he like, he uh, he's sticking to the boxing. Uh, he likes to swing that right hand. And, you know, he's got he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He didn't get submitted by Damian Maya. And, you know, Magni, yeah, he, he looked good against Lee Jing Leong, but man, Lee Jing Leong was tired after the first tie-up, man. I don't know what I don't know what was going on. Then he started shooting takedowns. Rocco Martin won't be shooting any takedowns, you know. Uh, Neil Magni's got a, a good work rate. He's, you know, efficient. He, he, he you know, he's known for hustling, you know, he, he works hard, you know. Uh, but skill-wise, man, I don't think he really got tested in that fight. And I hate to take away – I don't want to – I'm not saying take away, but, you know, discredit that win he just got. But Li Jing Leong, I think uh, I think we all just jumped the gun because he beat because he beat uh, Zaleski Dos Santos in China, knocked him out, finished him. You know, I guess a little bit of recency bias there. And Magni, you know, had been out for a while and was coming off the USADA thing. But, uh, man, I think this fight's completely different. I think Rocco's streaking. You know, Rocco's actually training down here with Douglas and Diego and Jukau and Asunsao, who's on the card, man. So I know he's been looking really good, getting that top-notch training. I think, you know, stylistically, he can uh, actually execute the calf kick game. You know, look at all his fights. He, you know, calf kick Jake Matthews. He calf kicks Sergio Marais. He, uh... 
ended up finishing Ryan LaFleur with a high kick, but uh, well, so the Ramazan Ameev, I mean, you know, he, he was a three calf kicks and Ameev's leg was completely shot, man. So, you know, I think Rocco Martin has the skills to come out here and get this win. I actually think that he's a more talented fighter than Magni, a more skilled fighter than Magni all around the dip, the where Magni can possibly win the fight is just by hustle, you know, by, by tying them up, you know, always throwing jabs, always moving. That's what Magni's good at. I just think that at some point, if he does that, Rocco Martin will either clip him with a vicious right hand or kick his calves to a point where he doesn't want to, doesn't want to come in. So I'm actually going to take Rocco Martin for the upset here. I think he's going to crack the top 15 after this fight. And, uh, you know, Neil Magni, a, a very tough guy. Uh, you know, like I said, good work rate. He's a good hustler, but I just think that Rocco Martin is very, very underrated, man. I think that this guy can fight with some of the guys in the top 15, like, you know, Vicente and Nico or, you know, Randy Brown, you know, these guys that are up there. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with Rocco Martin for the win. You know, what's interesting about that Li Jing Liang fight is that Li Jing Liang really burnt me against Jake Matthews. And it was one of those things where it was like, oh, maybe it was an off night, this or that. But the reality is when Li Jing Liang's not fighting in China, it ain't the same. Maybe it's the flight or who knows. But bottom line is that performance he had against Magni, again, you know, not to take anything away from Magni, but it was just like there was zero resistance whatsoever, you know, uh, Lee threw one strike. That's very uncharacteristic. He landed zero leg kicks, which if you want to beat Magni, you better go out there, land leg kicks on him. Uh, Lee did zero of that, and, and then he gassed out after two minutes. So, yeah, if you gas out in two minutes against a guy that trains in Colorado, you know, in, that, in the Rocky Mountains, in that elevation, obviously you're going to get picked apart for three straight rounds, and that's what happened. Um, never been Lee Jingliang out of China. Again, I'll just tell you that right now. But back to this matchup. Anthony Rocco Martin's come a long way since he moved up to 170 pounds. You know, it's funny, Shaq, because back when he was at 55, you know what we used to say about him? We used to say, man, this guy's a world champion for one round, and then he gasses out. So it's it's like we had a really positive thing to say about him. We said he's got all the skill in the world for that one round, but he can't maintain it. But since he moved up to 170, I mean, he can knock guys out in the third round. He can win decisions against Russians in Russia. He can submit black belts uh, like he did to Jake Matthews. I mean, dude, Rocco Martin's been putting it together. I guess, uh, you know, the somewhat area concern would be if he gets out-volumed here. The thing is he has the tools to beat Neil Magny, the calf kicks. I know that's something that we've repeated many times and – but it, it can't be overstated, you know. That's historically been one of Magny's biggest weaknesses. How do you chop down a six foot three tree? You start down low. I mean, Lorenz Larkin showed the blueprint. Rafael Dos Anjos. I mean, I know it says an arm triangle, but he dropped him with a calf kick. And then Santiago Ponzinibbio. I mean, absolutely brutalized him. Li Jingliang didn't land a single kick. I think uh, Anthony Rocco Martin is going to land at least three calf kicks in the first thirty seconds. You know, if he does what he's supposed to do, and then from there, if he can get Neil Magny to back off a little bit, get it into one of those slow, methodical fights, start popping the jab, then keep mixing in that low kick. And when it comes time to for Neil to shoot, I love Rocco Martin's submission attempts to sweeps. You know, like he can go for a guillotine, but he won't necessarily commit all the way. He can use it to sweep to get on top. The Kimura sweep, one of his go-tos. And... His performance against Ameev, I think, is very underrated, man. I mean, Ameev's a guy that you and I have had an immense amount of respect for for a long time. I mean, you remember the wars the guy had in Russia. You remember him making his UFC debut at at 205 pounds, right, man? It was at 205 against Alvi, wasn't it? Mm, well, Alvi missed weight. Hey, so it's officially a light heavyweight bout. But look, I mean, the weight doesn't matter. I'm just saying... Ramazan Ameev is a serious badass, even though not too many people know who he is. So that win, like... I, I hold that in high regard, and the jury's still out on Magny, in my opinion, because that last fight didn't really tell me much, and this is the fight that's going to tell me a lot. And uh, I'm going to go with Anthony Rocco Martin here for the upset. He's got to chop the tree. He's got to not get behind on points, and I think if he does what he's supposed to do, he's going to come out here and win. Now this one, here we go, man. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Aljamain, the Funkmaster Sterling. He's 18-3, and three, and Corey Sanhagen is 12 and 1. Currently, they got Aljamain Sterling minus 110 and Corey Sanhagen is minus 110. So, this is really interesting, man, because Aljamain Sterling, this guy, man, 
you know, I know we've been harsh on him in the past. I I know our old school fans remember when we cashed that plus 350 on Brian Caraway against him. But the thing about Aljamain Sterling is he's leveled up in a way where he I, I truly respect this guy so much because it's like from what we thought of him before, like, you know, we used to call him the fraud master and, you know, it, we like to be funny and stuff, but like there's no fraud master anymore. Like this guy is one fight away from a title shot. He's really, really, truly paid his dues. And I got so much respect for that. But with Corey Sanhagen, ever since we saw his UFC debut, I was like, man, this guy might be future title challenger, future champ. You know, at first I was like, well, it's Austin Arnett. Let, let's relax a little bit. But then you saw the championship heart against Yuri Alcantara and then the subsequent performances. So both these guys have been very impressive. So what I want to know, Shaq, is uh, who's going to get the title shot versus the winner of Peter Yan and Jose Aldo? Man, this is a great fight, number one contender match. Uh, a lot's on the line. Mm, man, Aljamain's improved a lot, a very, very strong grappler. You know, uh, his last two wins have been very impressive over Jimmy and Pedro Munoz. He just pretty much picked those guys apart at distance and landed them more volume strikes. Uh frustrated Jimmy Rivera to the point where he was spitting out his mouthpiece and uh you know he uh let's not forget what he did to Cody Stamen and uh, Brett John's fight man he uh I mean Brett looked Brett didn't look so good that night you know what I'm saying uh, but I mean man his last four men have been very impressive been brutal man he's actually been out there uh hurting guys and then you got Corey Sanhagen who from day one we just saw the talent the striking the striking talent and the feints and the footwork that this guy had and we were like man Man, this guy, uh, he might be the real deal. I mean, he beat John Lineker in his third UFC fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, John Lineker's a guy that beat John Dotson, who beat Cheeto Vera, who beat, uh, man, who else is Lineker beat? Uh, what happened when Robbie Font fought Lineker in his third uh, UFC fight? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Rob Font, Kelleher. I mean, you know, that's a legit win for your third. And then the follow-up, you go out there and pretty much wipe out Rafael Asuncao by decision uh, you win some scrambles against him you know uh Corey Sanhagen is the real deal man so we know we got talent you know kind of like elite talent level versus a guy that's you know put in his work you know earned it uh went through some losses so I, I really like this matchup man um so stylistically man I think Corey Sanhagen is clearly the better striker you know I feel like Aljamain Sterling has gotten a lot better but at the same time, when we look at just stylistically and striking skills, Jimmy Rivera is very flat-footed and he only swings power hooks. So Aljamain, you know, can, can you know, gauge better where he's going to be at. Pedro Munoz kind of very similar as well. Plotty moves forward, eats a lot of shots. Corey Sanhagen, man, this guy, his feints, his footwork, his low kicks, just his rhythm, man, it's going to be tough to deal with, especially if he gets Aljamain moving backwards. You saw, like, you know, in that Pedro Munoz fight where uh, Pedro and that, there was moments where Pedro would, would walk him down and land a lot of front kicks, and Aljamain's ducking his head down real low, got a lot of weight on that front leg, and he's, you know, doing this. I just don't see that flying with a guy like Corey Sanhagen. Now, where Aljamain can win the fight is, we saw in the Asuncao fight, a couple of grappling exchanges, and Asuncao did slam him, and other guys have slammed him too. Mario Bautista slammed him. Uh, Asuncao picked him up a couple times. Um uh, did Yuri, Yuri Alcantara didn't take him down, did he? He just, just like, like nah, but he him him. yeah, but you know, he, ha he has had some moments on the ground and he kind of likes to rely on his submission ability as well. I'll tell you what, man, he's one of the more talented, uh, brown belts I've seen, you know, he, I forget who his jujitsu coach is, uh, the team elevation guy, um, Elliot Marshall. Yeah. Um, so I think that he's actually very talented on the ground. I just do I do feel like Sterling has better wrestling though, you know. Uh, but I feel like that's the only way Sterling can win is if he holds on to dear uh, dear life, you know. Uh, and, and it's possible, but I just see Corey Sanhagen coming better prepared this time in his fifth UFC fight. I see them addressing that small hole for this fight, and like I said, if this fight stays on the feet and Corey starts moving forward, I really think you could see him out there making look Aljamain look silly, make him start looking, make him start shooting from far out, 
you know, and he's coming off an injury too as well, man. He might, I mean, Corey Sanhagen is a guy that you need to be on point with. You know, a Sun Tzu who's known for his good point striking and his counter fighting. I mean, he looked real off against Corey Sanhagen. And Lineker fight, man, I thought Corey won the first two rounds. Clearly, he definitely did kind of slow down in, in, in the last one. But, you know, that was his third fight in the UFC, man. I think this kid might be something special. And, and I think he's going to come out here and get the win by by decision. You know, I think it's going to be a tough fight no, no matter which way you look at it. But I think Corey Sanhagen is going to capitalize when he has his moments on the feet and neither get a knockdown, a wobble, uh, and, and and ride it to victory, man. So, uh I'm going to go with Corey Sanhagen. Man, this is a tough one for me to call. Like, my gut since the fight got matched has been Corey Sanhagen. But when you go back and you watch both of their careers, I've just been so impressed with the improvements that Aljamain Sterling has made. And the fact that he's truly paid his dues, like I already said, man. I mean, he's taken his setbacks. He's gotten embarrassed, come back, clawed his way to this uh, number one contender fight. So... That has to count for something because Sanhagen, he's truly as talented as we say, and I think even if he loses this fight, he's going to he's gonna challenge for a title one day. There is a chance it's first L time and that he might have to you know, pay his dues just like Aljamain has. The thing is, when you want to create a fighter, you know, if, you, if you're going on the video game, you want to create a fighter that can beat a guy like Aljamain Sterling. What you want to do is, obviously, Aljamain beats a lot of these guys. You know, he, he's very funky on the mat. We'll get to the grappling in a sec, but he uses his length really, really well. Well, one thing you'd want to do is you want to create a fighter that's longer and taller than a guy like Aljamain Sterling because all these guys he's been beating, they're all five foot six wrestlers, you know, that, that like to throw hands. I mean, Pedro Munoz, he's a black belt, but, you know, five foot six guys that like to brawl. Corey Sanhagen's a five foot 11 uh, bantamweight, firstly. Now, I know Aljo's got one inch of reach, uh, you know, but guys, uh, Corey's the longer man here. So you do that with the length, but then it's like, well, you saw Aljo's last fight against Pedro Munoz. That output was absolutely insane. So you need someone that can match the output. Well, how about the guy that you and I have been calling the volume king every single time he fights? That That's the guy that can match the output. So the last part, is the grappling and this is this is where it might get tricky and this is where we might be wrong because it's like yeah i know sanhagen only has 27 percent takedown defense and this and that but he gets back up every single time so his get-ups are very creative and so are his scrambles and sometimes he kind of relies on his ability to, to to scramble and his funkiness and stuff like that and it works against a lot of opponents. That's the only thing I'm curious about if it's going to work here. Like, for example, like, even if they're not on the mat, even if they're clinched up against the fence and Aljo's kind of got his back, you know, with the body lock, is Corey going to be able to easily escape that? Or is it going to be, you know, prolonged periods where he's pinned up against the fence? Like, that, those are the spots that I'd be most worried about if I was to put money on Corey Sanhagen here. The thing is, aside from that, I see Corey having a lot of success in terms of landing a lot of body shots, which we saw Pedro Munoz start to do. You know, he had that very stabbing front kick, even mixed in a couple hooks, and then you saw Aljo start to slow down a bit. The thing is, Pedro, we love him, tough as nails, great guy, great fighter, but we've kind of criticized his striking defense a bit at times. He's very, very hittable, so even though he was hurting Aljo, Aljo was still able to land big combinations on him. I'm not entirely convinced he's able to do that here. So, man, I think it's a 50-50 fight. I think you got to take dog money on either side, but I'm going to go with my gut and lean with Corey Sanhagen here to get it done. Co-main event of the evening, also in the Bantamweight division. We got the former champion, Cody Garbrandt, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Cody Garbrandt. He's 11-3, and and Rafael Assuncao is 27-7. and Currently, they got Cody Garbrandt, minus 140. The comeback on Rafael Asuncao is plus 120. Uh, Shaq, are you trying to lay down Shaq uh, on uh, no chin here? I mean, you think this is a good matchup for him to get back on track? <laughs> yeah, no chin, man. I'm, I'm glad to see him back. I heard he switched teams. I heard he's with uh, with Mark Henry and them now. We'll see if that changes things, man. Uh, Asuncao is one of the greatest bantamweights of all time, you know, the hometown guy, but... You know, uh, man, it's an interesting fight because both you could from that countdown show, man, you could tell both guys are desperate, man. You know, uh, 
you know, I know Cody Garbrandt is coming off. Uh, he hasn't won a fight since what UFC 207 since uh since uh, Ronda Rousey was last competed. Um, then the, let's just put it this way: the, Ronda Rousey has competed more recently than the last time Cody Garbrandt won a fight. And then uh, you know we follow up with the the whole TJ thing where he put out the video and uh, you know man I, I kind of feel like Cody Garbrandt's a case of. When he became champ, man, it just went, he, you know, he went off the deep end, man. <laughs> he completely, uh, he beat Dominic Cruz at how old? Like, what, 25, 6? Like, fucking, you know what I'm saying? Um, and things just went chaotic from there, man. Uh, the TJ for the second one was like, you know, like, I was like, bro, what are you, what, what are you doing? And then, like, then you follow up with the Pedro fight, and it's like, it got even worse, man. Uh I guess switching camps is somewhat a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, maybe Mark Henry can can deal with them. Um, Asunta, you know, but under under the radar, Asunta, I don't want to say he's in a similar spot, but I know in in the back of his mind, man, he's got to be questioning like, man, do I can I still keep up with these young guys? Because I know Corey Sanhagen is you know is possibly a number one contender, but you know sometimes you know when you're thirty, what is he thirty seven, and you know has uh, had a long career and. That that Vic, that loss, man. He he kind of got out. He just got outskilled in a way that he's never been outskilled. Followed up by the uh, Marlon Marais fight in which he got finished. So man, I kind of feel like deep down, there you know, both these guys are down in the dumps a little bit. You know, stylistically, Cody Garbrandt, just his last three fights, I like that. <laughs> I just don't even know what to say, man. It's like, it's like, dude, like I, I think he's got faster hands than a Sun Tao. And when when he was himself, but like that guy's gone, man. You know, I think uh, I think the damage is prob- probably more than likely already done. It's just that uh, you know, Asunta, I don't, you know, all this whole crap about you know him not having uh, punching power and you know, or it doesn't knock anyone out. You know that that's kind of ludicrous, man. You know, I asked my boy. Uh, Ask my boy Rob Fun about his son's house, <laughs> about his uh, power. Ask a uh, ask a Marlon Marais, you know, from the first fight. Man, he got wobbled in that first in that first uh, first fight. Um, what about Pe- Pedro Munoz, man? This, you know, son's can hit. You know, he likes to counter. He likes to sit back, and uh, he's known for winning a lot of decisions, man. But he can win a decision. Cody's not very competent, you know, or at least hasn't shown any competence that he can think in a late round situation. Um, man, you know, I'm going a, I'm to a take a sense out here. You know, I don't know if there's any, from a betting perspective, if there's any more, I don't want to say value because it is dog money, but at the same time, his age does worry me. Uh, you know, the fact that he likes to sit back as where Munoz and those guys kind of jumped on him right away and, you know, made Cody think crazy right off the bat. I think Munoz came out there and, like, jumped for a leg lock on him. And, like, uh, you know, the TJ fights, you know, went the way they did. But I'm going to go with the Suns out by decision, man. I think Cody Garbrandt's completely just uh, – <laughs> Unless he, unless Mark Henry really, really did something here in the, in this in this time uh, away from Alpha Male, but man, I just don't see what he's shown in the last couple of years to 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 lead me to believe that he's gonna uh, change. What I heard, he's got a, I heard he's got growing a beard. I heard he's trying to trying to protect that chin of his. You know, I heard he's trying to get a little extra padding. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I'm gonna go with the sunset for the win. Yeah, look, stylistically, it's interesting because, like you said, a Sun Tzu does like to sit back and counter. And that that makes it intriguing because it's like, on one hand, let's say Cody Garbrandt does come out here with a new approach. So before I talk about that, the good thing Cody's got going for him is no matter what we say about his chin or anything else, he's got fast hands. His hands are fucking fast. That's one thing that cannot be disputed. Cody Garbrandt has some of the fastest hands at 135 pounds. But besides that, like you said, Asunta likes to sit back and counter. So as far as the approach of Garbrandt, because we've seen two different styles from him. We've seen the wild man <laughs> that comes out there and, you know, against uh, Pedro Munoz when he, you know, when the initial knockdown, then he gets back up and he just starts charging him recklessly. He's like, Cody, wait, Cody, no, Cody, please. Yeah, even the second TJ. Yeah, real quick, though, like, <laughs> go back to uh... – 
to like UFC embedded or something and watch Danny Castillo. He's like, Cody, no, Cody, wait, Cody, get out of there. Cody, no. And then like, it's over. And then he's just like, oh, it's so fucking funny. Yeah, man. And then like even the second TJ fight when he just throws three sloppy overhand rights in a row, uh, like it's like when he gets clipped, man, he gets sloppy. But yeah, anyways, so if he wants to come out here and do the chaotic approach, my whole thing is, yeah, he can he can maybe catch a Sun Sal, but a Sun Sal is a really good counterfighter. So, you know, if, if Cody wants to come out here winging big bombs, you know, and with no respect, a Sun Sal is known for his counters. Now, on the flip side, if Cody wants to play a safe, methodical game, that's what a Sun Sal has been doing for the last 10 years. Like, he, he loves those close decisions. So I feel like aside from a knockout, which is possible, Cody's got really, really fast hands like we mentioned, this kind of does favor a Sun Sal because, again, the counters will be open if Cody blitzes him, but the sit-back methodical I-go-you-go style is what a Sun Sal's mastered for the last however long. And, you know, I think he's going to be throwing more leg kicks here because the Pedro Munoz fight, you know, people like to just talk about the chin of Garbrandt, but Munoz was actually chopping him down with calf kicks. He completely fucked his leg up to a point where maybe that's why Cody Garbrandt went on that suicide mission because he felt like, hey, I'm not going to be able to answer the bell between rounds. I better take him out right now. And then he ended up being the one that got taken out. He doesn't have the durability he once did. So, yeah, I do see it being a close fight, but I think it's a dogger pass situation. And I'm going to go with ATL zone, uh, Rafael Asuncao, to get this one done. Main event of the evening for the 145-pound women's title. We got the champion and the GOAT, Amanda the Lioness Nunes. She's 19-4. and four. And Felicia Spencer is 8-1. and one. Currently, they got Amanda Nunes minus 600. The comeback on Felicia Spencer is plus 450. Shaq, I low-key uh, lined Nunes minus 1,000. So is, is there value here on, on Nunes at minus 600? Or am I sleeping on Spencer? You think she's going to come out here and get this upset? Yeah. Spencer's in trouble, man. Spencer's in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, there probably is value on that minus 650, huh? Um, you know, <laughs> like, I just, you know, she's going to get finished here. You know, I think she's tough. She proved herself in that in that cyborg fight. She ate all the cyborg shots. But, uh, you know, Felicia is big, and we have seen Nunes kind of kind of tire out at times. But, you know, uh, just stand-up-wise, man, this is a complete mismatch and a half, like, like kind of similar with I said Caceres and Hooper, but this like is for real. Like if she stands with Nunes for like any more than a minute, two minutes, like this is gonna get real ugly. So yeah, you got to go with Nunes here. I say uh, by finish uh, within three rounds. You know, you know this Loki reminds me of uh, Nunes versus Rousey. Everyone's saying that the big shot that you know. Felicia has to win, is on the mat with her black belt. You know, people conveniently ignore the fact that Amanda Nunes is also a serious black belt, won her belt by submitting the then champion uh, Misha Tate. Also knocked down uh, Sarah McMahon, submitted her too. I, I think uh, people sleep on the black belt of uh, Amanda Nunes a bit. I know people are going to refer back to that, you know, Jermaine Duran me fight, but, like, I don't even think uh, Spencer's going to make it to the championship rounds. Not to mention the fact that, when you compare the two Jermaine Durandamy fights, because you guys know they fought twice, the first time Amanda took her down, got on top, and the fight was over shortly after. So Jermaine Durandamy closed the gap to an extent. You know, she even publicly said that my favorite training day is no gi day. So I know Jermaine's been putting in work, but this is different because we're dealing with the black belt here. But on the fee, it's a mismatch to a point where, you know, she's gonna get she's gonna get teed off on at will. But like, she doesn't really even not necessarily deserve to be in this spot because she's the only fighter in that division. But like when you earn a title shot by being Zara Fern, which probably half you guys have never heard of. I didn't, I never heard of her. Right. <laughs> no, except the two fights we've seen or Megan Anderson. It's like, yeah, this is like bringing a lamb to the slaughter. And, uh, I think it's going to be a first round knockout, man. I think Amanda Nunes is going to come out here, tee off on her calf kicks, the boxing pop her head back stuff. Every takedown attempt, go out there, put her away in the first round. So I'm going with Amanda Delinas Nunes, Shaq. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 250? 
Uh, my fight to watch is going to be Neil Magny versus Anthony Rocco Martin, man. You know, I think uh, Neil Magny, I know he's coming off a nice win against Lee Jingliang, but I want to see more of him, man. I want to see another 15 minutes. And Rocco Martin, this is finally his big opportunity, man. Like, he didn't get the, the Damian Maya win, but, hey, at least he got one judge to give him a draw on one card. Uh, right? Isn't, isn't that right? majority decision so yeah you know uh this is another opportunity i mean this guy was supposed to fight david zawada so this was a this is a big uh this is a big step up in, in name value and if he can get this win he will finally get that ranking uh next to his name so that's my fight to watch yeah, and one thing I want to say about Anthony Rocco is, uh, you know, in that Maya fight, even though, you know, he clearly lost the first two rounds, but who else is going out there and, you know, trying submission attempts on a guy like Damian Maya? So you got to give Anthony Rocco a lot of respect for that. But, man, my fight to watch, and I appreciate you not mentioning this fight, is Corey Sanhagen versus Aljamain Sterling. Look, the winner of this fight, regardless of who it is, is going to emerge the number one contender, and they're going to get to fight the winner of Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo for the undisputed Bantamweight title, and it's going to be bright skies for the winner. And even, even the guy who takes an L in this matchup, I think they're going to be able to dust themselves off, come back, and potentially get back to the same position they're in because these guys are so high level, and they're going to be around the top of this division for a while. So... Corey Sanhagen versus Aljamain Sterling is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 250? My fighter to watch is going to be Cody uh, No Love Garbrandt, man. You know, look, this would be like a, an epic fall, man. Like, I know we just saw a big fall last weekend with uh, Tyron Woodley, but this would be like, you know, if he comes out here and gets stopped again, like, should he hang him up? What do you think? I mean, so low-key, and I wasn't even supposed to talk about this, but I will anyways. Uh, I heard the people behind him wanted him to take, like, easier fights. And he was like, no, I have to fight the top five guys. So even, like, his own management's like, fine, Cody, you take the wheel, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. And you know that's never a good sign, Shaq. Yeah. I mean, if, if they can, why not take a fight against, like, uh Against like Eddie Wineland, Eddie Wineland or something, you know? but he'll have to take less money. But yeah, you know, I think uh, he's my fighter to watch, man. If he wins, that'll be a good story. I'm sure, you know, uh, they'll cry and, you know, they'll do the whole bit. But, you know, I think uh, if he loses, man, that will just be another sad, a sad situation. And I think that he, he will have to retire. You know, there's no reason if he takes another stiffening KO loss, or just like gets absolutely blown out the water for 15 minutes and wiped out, you know, Dana White would have to have a serious talk with him. So, you know, I wish him the best of luck. If he gets the win, that'll be, that'll be good for him. But uh, if he loses, they need to start talking retirement. And for me, my fighter to watch is uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. Look, I know he's a 5-1 to one favorite, but a lot of people have been discrediting this guy, saying, you know, don't like how he's talking, even though he said he wants steps up in competition so he can work his way to a title, which, like, do you want him to say he wants shittier competition? <laughs> like, the guy, he's very, very exciting. I like his striking style. I like his mindset. And uh, I'm very curious to see how he performs. Because, look, even though he's a 5-1 to one favorite, you remember when Cody Garbrandt was a 5-1 to one favorite against Henry Briones and he stunk up the whole place, and I bet on him inside the distance, and that's his one UFC win he didn't finish. So... Like, just because he's a big favorite doesn't gonna, doesn't mean he's going to come out here and show out. But when you do show out in a spot like this, pay-per-view opener, all eyes on you. I feel like this is going to elevate him to that next level. So, Sean O'Malley is my fighter to watch, Shaq. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Vegas, UFC 250. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code SHAQ50 for 50% off Shaq's bets. Use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off mine. Or use our combined promo code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs at bestfightpicks.com. You can follow Shaq at MMAGenius05 or ShaqBFP on IG. You can follow me at bestfightpicks. Best Five Picks official on IG or follow the podcast too at Half the Battle Pod on IG or Half the Battle HQ on Twitter. Sincerely appreciate all your support. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We're going to be back next week. And uh, about the fan Q&A, you know, I, I found a solution. We should just do a separate show for the fan Q&A. Just sit down for an hour, answer all the fans' questions, and shoot the shit. We really look forward to doing that soon. We'll just keep a 
Keep an eye out. We'll let you know when we get down to that. Thank you guys so much for your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.